the Trump DeSantis Cold War turns hot, and the Dianne Feinstein resignment saga. Should she actually just step down, or is there a hidden agenda there? I'm Matt Robeson. This is the Balance of Power Roundtable, part of the Beyond Politics podcast. We're on YouTube on the Blue Amp channel, and of course, on audio, wherever you get your podcast. Joined, as always, by our panel of former two-term Democratic U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant Alicia Preston. Let's lean into your skill set as a Republican consultant. You talk to campaigns all the time about their media and their ads. And we have got two ads hot off the video presses from Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. They've been shiving each other, shanking each other, going after each other in recent weeks. And we previewed on this show the idea that, hey, Ron DeSantis is not afraid of attacking Donald Trump. And lo and behold, they're putting some money behind it. There are ads up. We're going to fold them right into the video of this show. So our audio listeners will hear the audio. Our video viewers on Blue Amp on YouTube will see the actual ads. Donald Trump is being attacked by a Democrat prosecutor in New York. So why is he spending millions attacking the Republican governor of Florida? Trump's stealing pages from the Biden Pelosi playbook, repeating lies about Social Security. Here's the truth from Governor Ron DeSantis. You know, we're not going to mess with Social Security as Republicans. What did Trump say? Entitlements ever be on your plane? At some point, they will be. We will take a look at that. Trump should fight Democrats, not lie about Governor DeSantis. What happened to Donald Trump? Never back down Inc. is responsible for the contents of this ad. Ron DeSantis loves sticking his fingers where they don't belong. And we're not just talking about pudding. DeSantis has his dirty fingers all over senior entitlements like cutting Medicare, slashing Social Security, even raising our retirement age. Tell Ron DeSantis to keep his pudding fingers off our money. Oh, and somebody get this man a spoon. Make America Great Again, Inc. is responsible for the content of this advertising. Alicia, you have reviewed them for us. What do you make of these? Are these going to be effective in a Republican primary? It's important to remember, for what it's worth, that both ads are done by political action committees, not the individual campaigns of DeSantis and Trump. The pudding ad is the most idiotic ad I have ever seen in my effing life. How about that? It's stupid. First of all, we're supposed to not like Ron DeSantis because he, a staffer said he once ate a little pudding cup on an airplane with his fingers. I have eaten pudding cups with my fingers and Jello and a whole lot of other stuff, because if you don't have a spoon... You're not going to deny yourself that deliciousness. Hold just- on. Can I say that that's very European Union of you? By which I mean <laughs> EU. Ew! What are you doing? What's Dude, that? Alicia? Or the other thing you spoon, can do. spoon, girl. If you don't have a spoon, you peel the top out, the top off, and it's that like tinfoily thing. <laughs> that is a spoon? And you fold it, and you use it as the spoon. Gosh. So many of us have gross. been there. It, it, many, I'm not Why don't you ever giraffe it? Why pudding. don't you just <laughs> get on it? Do in that when it gets to the bottom. You do that when it gets to the bottom. That's what you do. But anyway, no one actually cares if Ron DeSantis once ate a pudding cup with his fingers. I certainly don't. It makes me feel symbiotic with him. Like I'm one with the Ron DeSantis with the pudding cup situation. You want pudding fingers DeSantis with his finger on the button? I'm not saying I want him as president. I don't know if I do or not. I'm just saying the pudding fiasco would not be my deciding factor. I think the Trump ad is so ineffective. It's so stupid. It even makes some of his supporters be like, you are wasting our money on what now? Look, the DeSantis ad, it's mediocre. The problem with the DeSantis ad is that it's an ad based on he's on the defense. 
He'd been accused of something by Trump and he responded to it. Never support that. I think it's a foolish thing to do, particularly if you're paying, you're using your money to actually back it. You're on the defense. He's on the defense from the get-go. It is good that he's on record saying where he stands in Social Security and Medicare, and he's got Trump in that ad on record saying, yeah, I might go after entitlements. So from that, at least there's a message there. But I always say you never walk out on the defensive. The problem with all these people, everyone knows Donald Trump. Anybody else, everyone does not know Ron DeSantis. You are introducing yourself to voters right now. You don't introduce yourself on the defense. And I think that was a calculated mistake. Paul, where do you stand on the most important part of Alicia's analysis, the pudding question? There was something about the three fingers used in that pudding ad that made it vaguely pornographic. It was not just about pudding. I concur. There was something totally pornographic about that ad. It was like the Trump people can't get pornography off their minds. They've got to include it in everything because Trump is a pornographic icon. And so <laughs> they used the three fingers and the chocolate pudding. And I won't what would it be? It's not like he's using his whole fist, man. And I won't go further in my analysis just to say that there was something vaguely pornographic. And of course, our Republican analyst consultant commentator and super duper journalist Alicia Preston picked up that same thing. So score oh one gosh. score one for the Trump unconscious perhaps pornography. I doubt unconscious. I no, doubt you, unconscious. Okay, not, so I doubt you totally totally conscious going after DeSantis with the pornographic pudding ad. From hey, now on you he's know what be known Paul. as Ron Porno Pudding DeSantis. Porno pudding Oh my gosh, Paul, you're a freaking genius. So first of all, I'm definitely going to reach out to Stormy Daniels to invite her onto the show to give us an adult film analysis of whether this is pornographic. I guarantee you that that will get a million views. I, who's in? Who, 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 I'm there. I think Bring you gotta, it on, Stormy. Okay, Bring it on, Stormy, ask Stormy you are invited. You are invited. She will opine about the use of the three fingers in the porno pudding. I'm doing this right now. Follower of Stormy Daniels because she's hilarious. This conservative former, former Christian Republican. Follow Stormy Daniels on Twitter because she is one of the funniest, albeit, albeit vulgar people I see on Twitter. Right. Yeah, former, but you know what's great? Sister, uh, join us. Sister, okay, but, join, join us. us. All right. Great. I will say from a from a just a content and ad content standpoint, defer to your expertise about what resonates with Republican voters. I would just say from a 30,000 foot ad content analysis standpoint, I was actually less down on the DeSantis ad. I think what he did was a pretty clever piece of jujitsu in that ad where he starts off, you have to start your entry bid with the viewer. They're either okay with what they're watching in the first three seconds or they're not. And he hooks them with this idea of out of con- whatever he said, out of control Democrats. He's a Democrats attacking, are attacking Trump. Attacking Donald Trump. So it's that's your entry point psychologically. And it's like people are like, okay, I'm in. You it's always worth asking when you break down an ad, who's the audience you're talking to? Because believe me, this is what media consultants do is they work with the polling team to think about. Who are we talking to here? You're not talking to everybody, usually with an ad. You're talking to a specific segment. At this stage of the campaign, I don't think Ron DeSantis is trying to move the broad Republican primary electorate. Who is he most trying to move? He's most trying to move wealthier Republican donors. And so going after Trump on entitlements 
is not a bad move. Many of these Republican donors are senior citizens. And doing this entry point of, look, we're all on the same side here defending Donald Trump from the Democrats, and then moving to, but Donald Trump has changed. I think that's the key. It's it's trying to give people a little bit of subtle psychological permission to say, hey, we all defend Donald Trump. We've been with him. We're all MAGA. Yay, make America great again. It's time for a new page. That is like squarely in the Ron DeSantis message playbook. So I'm, I, I didn't give it an A plus, but I'm in B plus territory on that one. But we've seen that's ineffective in the past. Donald Trump has been a registered Democrat. Donald Trump has donated to the Clintons. Donald Trump, all these things came out in his first race in 2016, and it no one cared. And if they didn't care then, and they're still feet in the sand now with Donald Trump, they're not going to care now. None of that's new. The We are in the ad territory of introducing yourself. And like I said, it's good that he's on record for Social Security and Medicare. It's good that he put Donald Trump on record. But I still think it's a defensive ad. He says it's a defensive Mm -hmm. ad because why are you attacking me? I'm not sure that's the play. It's always worth starting with the audience and starting with the demographic. This is literally what you do is you take your polling and you try to figure out differential advantage to different messages with different demographics. We had Whit Ayers, who's one of the top Republican pollsters on this show. We've had Jeff Pollack, and we've had John Anzalone, who's Joe Biden's pollster. And we've worked directly with most of these pollsters, and this is what they do. They try to figure out who can be moved in the electorate with messages. I just don't think that we're quite at that point. I think that this is a fundraising-based message that is more about giving people some permission to say, Donald Trump has changed. He's not the same old guy. Like, why is he going after me right now? I'm not against that, but I do agree with your point, Alicia. That's not ultimately, I think, the winning message in the Republican primary for Ron DeSantis. I think it's ultimately going to have to be about, we cannot win with Donald Trump. We love you. Thank you for your service. You're the best. Yay. But... This is about the future. All elections are about the future. What's going to help Republicans stop the evil Democrats in 2024? It's not Donald Trump anymore. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Let's talk about Dianne Feinstein. So she's 89 years old. And the last week, if you're like in political nerd circles, has been dominated by a lot of coverage, a whisper campaign that became a let's say this out loud campaign that became a let's shout this out loud campaign. Dianne Feinstein needs to resign. The deal is that she has shingles and she's 89 and she has been absent from her job for two months as she recovers. And that means that from her position on the Judiciary Committee, she is costing Democrats a critical vote. They only have a one vote majority in these committees. That means they can't move judicial nominees along. And that's critical. I was going to ask Paul for his perspective on this, but we're still missing Paul Hodes. Alicia, what's your view on this? You've said on this show before that you think at a certain point, all politicians reach a, it's time for you to retire point. Is that what's going on here most in your mind? Look, I think 89 is simply too old. I don't think we should have a specific age limit, but do think that people- It's like Potter Stewart. You'll know it when you see it. You'll know it when you see See, it. See, we brought pornography back in here. (laughs) That's great. Senior citizens and pornography. We know our demographics. 
I think 89 is too old. But here's the thing. It wasn't too old for the Democrats two months ago. So why is it today? Uh, she's got shingles. It goes away. It's a terrible thing. My mother had shingles. It's awful. It's painful. It's miserable. But it goes away. So again, if she wasn't too old two months ago, why are the Democrats finding her too old today? And moreover, remove her from the judiciary and put someone else in if you need that vote. They can't. So the way this works in the Senate is that you have a minority leader and the majority leader agree, essentially, at the beginning of the session to here are the committee assignments. And the Senate proceeds by unanimous consent. That's why it's mm -hmm. so easy to bottle up the Senate. Any senator can pull a Mr. Smith goes to Washington and filibuster, right? And so if you don't have unanimous consent, if you have objections, then you have to try to muscle things through. So they can't, she floated the idea that she would simply step down right. temporarily from her committee. Republicans said, no, we're not going to let you do that because that would allow you to appoint Biden judges faster and our base would freaking kill us for that. So they're not going to agree to that. And so it seems like the only avenue left if they want to unbottle the judge pipeline is for Senator Feinstein to step down. Paul, I have an agenda here. I have a theory about this here, but what have you observed in terms of this Diane Feinstein saga? First of all, should she resign? First of all, it was interesting to see that Susan Collins is the senator who put the nail in the coffin. The moderate Susan Collins joining with the Senate whack jobs on the right to make sure that they would bottle up Biden judicial nominees. And furthermore, let's just say it like it is. The Republicans bring an AK, an AR-15 to a knife fight, and the Democrats bring a soft bunny. That's do not know how. Nasty teeth. Nasty teeth. My dog catches and eats bunnies. Just yeah, I was doing Monty Python and the Holy Grail. There. That was another deep cut. I'm going to both sides this for a second, and then I'll give you my answer. There is a strong argument for her to resign, because if they're procedurally unable, if they don't have the votes to push through the Biden judicial nominees, that is a problem. There's such a thing as conservative judges and such a thing as liberal judges. And then there's the freaking Trump judges like Matthew Kaczmarek, the whack job who just did that um, ab abortion medication decision, who is totally unqualified. Donald Trump, by appointing about a quarter of the sitting judges in the federal judiciary, has managed to tilt the ultra important appellate level. This is the level that actually hears most of the federal cases. The Supreme Court gets like vanishingly small percentage of cases. Most of the action is at the appellate level. And Donald Trump tilted the majority of the courts to conservative control. And again, maybe Alicia, that's fine. You're like, yay, conservative judges. But when you've got Trump judges making Trump rulings like that embarrassing Mar-a-Lago judge who in all ignorance of the law and no idea what she's doing, she just literally wrote like MAGA, MAGA, MAGA all over a page. No freaking idea. Totally unqualified, totally unhinged. Um, you've got a problem. And Joe Biden is in the process of fixing it. He actually was appointing judges at a faster rate than Donald Trump did. He's in the midst of rebalancing the judiciary. It's incredibly important. And so the idea of that getting all bottled up when there's absolutely nothing else that's going to be able to pass the Senate in the next two years. So this is all of the action filling the judiciary. This is all of the action. There's a strong argument. It's, I'm sorry, Diane, we love you. You provided amazing service over the course of decades, but we have got to move on here. We've got to move forward. 
The only thing that gives me pause is this. Who is giving Senator Feinstein a little push over the ledge? It was Ro Khanna, the California congressman. He is someone who has declined to enter the Senate race for Senator Feinstein's So seat. far. So, well, he's declined and he's thrown his support behind Barbara Lee, the progressive standard bearer. Guess who, the answer is Governor Gavin Newsom, has pledged that if he gets to appoint a senator, he will appoint an African-American woman. Yes, Gavin Newsom. And so I'm a little suspicious here because Ro Khanna breaks the wall of silence, comes out and says, it's time for Senator Feinstein to resign for the good of the judges. Won't anybody please think of the judges? What is he trying to accomplish? Could it be to put Barbara Lee in as the appointment, which would give her the upper hand in the budding Senate race in California over the centrist standard bearer, Adam Schiff? I'm suspicious. And so I ultimately, I think I'm more persuaded by the, we've got to get the judges in argument, but it just, People's motivations are giving me pause here. That's all. Yeah, but look, Shingles has nothing to do with what's going on with Diane Feinstein. She's been AWOL for a long time. We love Diane Feinstein. We appreciate her service. We vaunt her skills and all that. And it's time for her to resign. This is a good time for her to step down. And unfortunately, if unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your politics, it means that Barbara Lee is the temporary senator until the election and gives her obviously a leg up. So be it in the long arc of American history, it's more important to get the judges in, frankly, than whether there's a progressive or centrist senator from California. I do think it's a bit of a manufactured crisis. President Biden has been president for well over two years. There's been a two-month delay in judgeships. It's going to come back either with Dianne Feinstein or if she resigns. It is not a critical moment. A two-month delay is not the end of the world. Like I said, he's been president for over two years. Got time. There isn't enough time because the Senate moves so incredibly slowly. Like getting a single nomination through just takes up a tremendous... Now, it's true. It's not like the Senate is actually doing anything else here, but... The bottling up, like this is that's this why is why I wanted to, that's why I, that, favor of this. That's why that, I ran for the Senate so that I wouldn't have to, to do anything. I actually had to work <laughs> when I was a member of Congress. If I was in the Senate, I could kick back, put my feet up on my desk, receive acolytes, and sit around. That that's acolytes or accolades. You had acolytes are like are the light version of accolades. Are uh, acolytes the thing that's in like Gatorade to make you feel better? Once again, we're going to rename this show Off the Rails. Speaking of which, <laughs> Kevin McCarthy is going to take our entire country off the rails. Oh, That's wow. the headline. The country is going to economically blow up. I'm not making this up. Like, things are bad, people. What if I said that the entire economy is going to crash in a few months because of, Alicia, how did you just put it a minute ago? A manufactured crisis. We have a manufactured crisis. The Freedom Caucus has decided we will not allow a debt ceiling increase. And Kevin McCarthy went to the New York Stock Exchange yesterday to announce, I have Everything's a okay. secret plan. We'll not put forward the details of this plan, but I have, it's not really so much of a plan as like, I have a PowerPoint. It's not even a PowerPoint. I have a few bullet points on a piece of paper. What it essentially comes down to is he's trying to sell House Republicans on, here's what we'll put forward. We'll lift the debt limit for one year but we're going to cut federal spending back to last year's levels. We'll only have a 1% increase. 
We'll claw back some of the COVID money that we haven't spent yet. And we're going to put work requirements on government benefit programs. And that is the deal. The problem that I see here is that there is no deal. That is not a deal. And the Biden administration has rightly said, you haven't passed anything. Come to us with a budget. Show us exactly what you want to cut. And then we'll talk. And when I say we'll talk, we're not going to negotiate with the entire American economy as the hostage with you holding a metaphorical gun to its head and all of our jobs and our savings and our houses and interest rates. And the world economy. And the world economy. So I do not see this as any forward progress. Paul, you've been in these debt ceiling negotiations before. On a scale of one to 10, where 10 is feeling fine to one, which is pack your bags and head for the bunker. How are you feeling after Kevin McCarthy's magic proposal? Problem for Kevin McCarthy is that he's got five different caucuses in his caucus to deal with. They are known as the five families. Wait, so Paul, just so I understand, is there actually like five subgroups? In yes, the- there, there are five yeah. subgroups in the Republican caucus, and he's got to talk to each one of them behind closed doors to find out what their individual wacky proposals are. And then somehow he takes all their wacky proposals and rolls them up into a big matzo ball and says, but I've got a plan and I'm going to be able to, to mollify the wacky Accier than thou proposals of each of these five people. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. So I think the most humorous part of this discussion is that the Biden administration, which both of you gentlemen have supported, has said there will be no negotiation. You will do as I say. You will just do this and raise a debt ceiling. And yet Matt led the toss to you, Paul, about when you were a congressman by saying, Paul, you've been part of these negotiations. So I guess we do negotiate over the debt ceiling. That's fascinating because you guys have been telling me for weeks that we don't do that and that the Biden administration gets to say no negotiation. The executive branch does not get to tell unilaterally the the legislative branch what they can do. They are allowed to negotiate. They're allowed to make deals. Personally, I have no problem with anything Kevin McCarthy has come up with as a quote unquote negotiation. And I'm also not even in the least concerned, and maybe I'll be wrong, let me know in June, that the debt ceiling is not going to be raised. What happens whether Democrats or Republicans in charge, everyone takes a stand, everyone makes a move. I'm going to be the one that takes care of the budget of the country. I'm going to make sure we cut spending. I've got an election I have to worry about. I can use this on the campaign trail. And then they vote to increase it because they have to. And that's exactly what's going to happen this time around. The reasoning, if you can call it that, behind the American invasion of Iraq was that we can't depend on a madman to make firm, intelligent, rational judgments, talking about Saddam Hussein there. And what you're basically arguing, Alicia, is, oh, we've seen this before, and there's always brinksmanship, and then we get a deal, and it'll be fine. I'm not sure that we can rely on the House Freedom Caucus, on Lauren Boebert, on Marjorie Taylor Greene, on Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who just defended a traitor to our country, who leaked all those classified documents on the basis of, oh, he's just being attacked because he's white. No. Can we discuss that? He's attacked because he's a fucking traitor. Yes, he's a traitor. She has sworn an oath to the Constitution of the United States of America. She is, am I wrong, on the Homeland Security Committee or one of those? You are not wrong. And she is defending a guy 
who released national secrets, put our country in danger, put our relationships with foreign countries in danger, put our assets in foreign countries in danger, and she's defending him. I cannot put my head around this. She is an effing traitor because he is and she's defending him. Thank you, Alicia. I agree. This is the kind of person that we are turning the entire health of our economy over to because she's got to bless a freaking deal here. We've got to mollify this insane lunatic in order to, and I just want to be clear here. We had Mark Zandi, one of the most celebrated economists in America on the show a few months ago to explain to us the dire consequences. If we don't raise the debt ceiling, all of you who are listening to this, who like your jobs, you may not have one. All of you who don't want the interest rates on all of your loans to spike, costing you tens of thousands of dollars a year, including on your mortgages, this is what will happen if we breach the debt ceiling. The world economy going down, that's what we're talking about. They're holding it hostage. Alicia, you said a moment ago, you don't have a problem with Kevin McCarthy's proposals, such as they are. They're not really proposals. They're, they're bullet points. They're, they're scraps of thought. I actually don't have a big problem with them either. I, they're not particularly offensive to me. It's like, all right, we'll restrain discretionary spending. Yeah, okay. So we'll take back unspent COVID money. Sure, I'm cool with that. Work requirements, I'm not big on that because there are already some substantial work requirements, but we could talk here. But what you don't do is you don't hold the entire economy hostage. Here's what concerns me, is that you have to deal with not just the lunatics, like Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and all of these whack jobs who don't know anything about the economy. There are probably They don't also, know anything about anything. They don't know anything about anything. I agree with you I, on that. I submit to you that there are members of your party that are still begging you to leave. There are members of your party, our friend, who would actually be just fine for the economy to go down because they're reasoning, hey, look, all we care about is reelecting Donald Trump. And if we enter a worldwide depression because we breach the debt ceiling, which is very realistic, that could happen. Yes, at first, voters would blame House Republicans for being intransigent or whatever. But a year from now, they're just going to be unhappy and they're going to blame the incumbent president. They think it will politically help them. They actually want to destroy the American economy because they think it will help them politically that's where I'm coming from. I, I think, think Republicans want giving, this. I think you are giving the incredibly small portion of the Republican Party that Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, and Lauren Bulbert. I think you're giving them way too much intellectual credit. And what a race by 20 points. My dog could run in that district. And if he had an R next to his name, he'd win. That's, that's the point. That is, shouldn't we is. be more discriminating? It's like if you have an insane person. I think like she should be removed. I think she should be removed from office, actually. I think there have been other points in the past that would have put her in the position to be removed from office. But I don't think she and the triad of idiots that she is one of are going to be the deciding factor in this debt limit increase. I think it'll happen. And look, if I'm wrong, but history just says at the end of the day, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, we realize the significance of not raising the debt ceiling. I think we need a balanced budget, but then reality kicks in and it goes, what happens if we don't increase this I just am not concerned that it's not going to happen. And if I'm wrong and we'll come back in June when the crisis would hit, I'll admit it. But, but I, there's a, you're, posing, you're posing a bit of a challenge here because the if I'm wrong is a blase way of saying it. I don't have any say in the matter, Paul. So. Uh, it's pretty blase. <laughs> I don't have a vote. Uh, if I'm wrong. You got a real different situation here. 
The inmates have taken over the asylum. They have the power. Kevin McCarthy doesn't. And your party has elected a cabal of crazies of such magnitude that this time there is real danger. How many times, just refresh my memory, did Democrats agree to raise the debt ceiling without a fight, without a hostage crisis when Donald Trump was president? The number is three, just so people know. The number is three, three times. And all of a sudden, whenever Republicans get just a little bit of control, and in this case, they, they do hold half of one branch of government. They hold the House of Representatives. It's hostage crisis. And well, Alicia, you there's a philosophical before, difference there... here. The philosophical difference is so the Democrats and I didn't know that number. I totally believe you that three, three times, times under Donald, I believe you. Democrats don't mind spending money. Republicans do. And elections matter. And Republican but voters. But if they, if they mind on. spending money, why did they raise the debt ceiling three times under Donald Trump without raising a peep? If they mind it so much. No, I said and Democrats why, why, don't and, mind spending money. And why did the national debt go into the tank under Donald Trump? Well, Hold on, hear me out. Politics, like, of course, I'm hearing, all Okay, we're, we'll, we'll listen for a second. It's all politics. Then we'll attack Republicans, you. okay, fair. Republicans always have to stand up and tell their voting base, I am trying to manage the purse strings for you. They have to. That is what Republicans are looking for. Democrats do not. Now, that's not a criticism of either side. That's just how politics works. And so, of course, Democrats are going to not put up a fight about raising the debt ceiling. That's what their base is looking for. Let's spend the money. Let's do this. Let's keep these services going. Let's keep this money going out the door. That is the Democratic base. Republicans have to. And yes, under Donald Trump, with the debt ceiling, Republicans were defending it. They had to come out and explain it. They had to come out and say why it's okay. It's all politics on both sides. But that's where we are. Can I nitpick you? Please do. The word always. I agree with everything you just said, except the word always was doing a lot of work in your last sentence or set of sentences when you said Republicans always have to stand up and show that they're fighting against government spending. I disagree with the word always. They don't always do it. They do it when there's a Democratic president. They conveniently forget to do it when there's a Republican president. How many times? Did we raise the debt ceiling under George W. Bush? Remember, for most of George W. Bush's term in office, there was a Republican Congress, and then at certain points, there was a Democratic Congress. I'll give you the answer. Seven times. Seven times. Did we have a debt ceiling crisis during any of those? No. When did we have a debt ceiling crisis? What was the negotiation that I was referring to when Paul was a member of Congress? It was when we had Barack Obama. All of a sudden, oh my gosh, holy Jesus, we <laughs> need to fight government spending. And then- uh, There was an enormous to... amount of government spending pushback by Republicans the under the only, George W. The Bush only, administration. The... An enormous amount from No Child Left Behind to a host of other things. Republicans pushed back and said he was too much of a spender. Now, I didn't agree. People are going to find this shocking, but <clears throat> George W. Bush is one of my favorite presidents of my lifetime. But- Republicans absolutely were fighting back against his administration because they thought he was not fiscally conservative enough. They were fighting back so much that he never failed to pass a budget. The only what form did this fighting take? Were Matt, there, were there, did he suffer any losses? I'm not sure about that. One. I have I have to comment on Alicia's use of the word always, and you're calling her out on that because. There is an appropriate use of always when it comes to Republicans and debt ceilings and where they stand. And that is an equation. 
it is all they are always hypocritical always totally hypocritical in the past the grand old party did stand for fiscal conservatism they blew that out of the water uh, with Donald Trump and in fact with George W Bush your favorite president they blew that out of the water and one they of, one of. and they're always hypocritical when it comes to the debt ceiling we're mostly agreeing with you we are republicans do have to worry for their own politics about seeming to be against spending and democrats do not they're the democratic base alicia's point is the democratic base is like more spending please yes agreed however it's we're just in a friendly way. It's what in Congress you call a friendly amendment. I'd like to offer a friendly amendment. The word always was not quite on point there. It's, hey, we've suddenly found religion. Good news. The heathens have been vanquished now that Donald Trump is president. Let's spend out the butt. <laughs> and it's, oh my gosh, Joe Biden is president. Hell, it's spending. All right, look, let's just, let's just do one more topic. We were worried that there might be a settlement between Fox News and Dominion overnight. There has not been. They're proceeding to trial. We've been monitoring this. Paul, what's the number one thing you'd like to see come out of this trial? The bankruptcy of Fox News and the Mr. Murdoch. The total financial destruction of his empire. Oh, that seems aggressive. Alicia, what are you hoping for? I did used to be a journalist, and I took very seriously the line between opinion and reporting, and Fox News did not. I hope they are held accountable. I hope their quote-unquote journalists are held accountable, and we'll see where it goes. By the way, here's a closing nugget Mm -hmm. for our show. The judge in the Fox News Dominion trial has apparently had to ask the reporters in the room to type more quietly because furiously loud typing, he said, could give the jury the wrong idea. On that note, we are going to have to leave it there for Paul and Alicia I am always happy to say we'll see you next time.